Hello, credit union executives. Welcome to See You on the Show, where we give you up-to-date information on how you can reduce risk, keep key talent, and take a strategic approach to your personal financial wellness. Hosted by me, Doug English, a certified financial planner and former credit union insider with ACT Advisors. Welcome back to see you on the show. Today, we have two distinguished guests with a wealth of experience and knowledge. Please welcome Bill Patton back to see you on the show. He's the Vice President of Lending and Loan Participations at Aloya, and Patrick Roberts, the Chief Revenue Officer at Mountain Seed. Bill and Patrick are here to shed some light on sale, leaseback transactions. So in this episode, they will share their advice on navigating the intricate world of sale, leasebacks providing valuable insights, strategies, and considerations to ensure your credit union can make the most of these transactions. During our discussion, we delve into the opportunities that these transactions can unlock for your credit union. So if you're considering a sale leaseback transaction, uh, I think you're in for a treat. Stay tuned for this conversation. Patrick and Bill, welcome to the show. And Bill, in your case, welcome back. Bill from Aloya, back to educate us on great ideas for getting some capital in these times. And Patrick from Mountain Seed to talk about the activity in sale leaseback of branches for the credit union movement. So welcome, both of you. Tell me a little bit about what's going on, Bill. How about a quick uh, short update on what's happening at Aloya? And then Patrick, uh, just give us a short bit about uh, what Mountain Seed uh, focuses on for credit unions. Sure. So Aloya, we're a small but mighty team. We've got uh, about 200 individuals. We recently bought a fintech to help get into the automated lending space. We purchased QCash. We're really, really excited about that. We're heavily involved in some, you know, getting into the FedNow space and that payment side of things. And then, of course, you know, on, on my side of the coin, the capital market side, we are still seeing a lot in the loan participations, the sub debt, and now something we're really excited about, which is the uh, sale lease back transaction, which is what we're here to talk about. Great. Patrick? Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me. First off, really excited to be on with you. So we, we serve roughly 10% of the credit unions and banks throughout the U.S. today through one of our three business units. We have a, a valuation side of our company, which sees about $100 billion annually in commercial real estate volume, uh, where we serve as kind of a third-party appraisal review company, appraisal company, uh, evaluation company, environmental business. We have a second business unit, which is all about real estate data. So when you're pressured with Cecil or you're pressured with anything that you guys have to deal with, from a balance sheet management perspective in your portfolio, we can help. And then lastly, what we'll talk about today is our balance sheet capital markets group. That group uh, does a number of things, one being uh, by performing and distressed debt, but also where we're most excited in this environment is our sale leaseback initiative, where we're going out and purchasing credit union branches uh, and then leasing them back to credit unions. So our company is headquartered out of Atlanta. We have about 150 employees and love serving credit unions and banks throughout the U.S. So in this arrangement that you have with Aloya, credit unions are coming through their relationship with Aloya and, and partnering with you. And you guys, your company actually purchases credit union branches as a investment strategy. Like that's core to what you do as a firm. Is that right? Yeah, that's spot on. Aloya has been great partner. We've launched a partnership with them over the last two to three weeks, which we're super excited to get started. 
they are kind of serving as a, a partner with us to bring in interested credit unions that would like to sell their branches to Mountain Seed. And we are the investor. So it is our capital. It is our money. We are not a broker. We are not a go-in-between group. Uh, it is our money. And we will buy those branches and we will lease them back out to that given credit union for some long duration. We like the investment in credit unions for the long term. Uh, we think that with our investment thesis, we look at it very much like a bond investment. And um, and we've got long-term money uh, given given some of our uh, our capital that is the shareholder space of Mountains. With deposits being on everybody's mind these days, where are you going to get your your deposits? Well, let's kind of talk about sale leaseback as far as one of the options. At what point do you need to start to look at that? And what is that sort of cost of capital arrangement versus borrowing versus other uh, systems of gathering capital? Talk to me about that. This environment is unique, right? Uh, credit unions have have not seen this in a long time. I don't think really any of us have seen this in a long time. But ultimately, funding pressures moved at such a fast velocity, right? You started to see spreads just go off the wall. And, and now you are a credit union in central Iowa. You're having to pay out your deposit base. And that's a little bit unique. You weren't doing that two years ago or a year and a half ago. So because of that and what that actually means to a credit union's balance sheet, it's, it's important to have other solutions to generate liquidity and capital. This is one of those, you know, and Bill can speak to this. There's probably a number of other solutions. This is one that we really like from our seat as an investor because it's a non-dilutive way for a credit union to get that capital. Why would you hold uh, a piece of real estate on your balance sheet when you can kind of unlock the value of that real estate today, get that capital today, when you're facing this funding pressure in this environment? Doug, that probably... Um, covers some of the funding questions, but, but Bill, do you want to maybe add on to that at all? Yeah, I'm going to break it up into two things, right? So this is much more of a capital solution, and not necessarily a liquidity play. Now, they can be intertwined and you can leverage capital for more liquidity, right? Um, but from a credit union perspective, kind of just going back to what, what Patrick said, right? I mean, over the last three, four years, balance sheets have exploded. And then all of a sudden, they shrunk really, really quickly with deposit outflows and you know margin pressures due to having to uh, pay up. There's supreme pressure on the capital of a credit union. So this is another way for credit unions to unlock potential on their balance sheet in these assets that formerly you were not able to uh, unlock to get capital. You know, so this is in in, in the vein of of, of sub debt in the sense that. You're getting capital on your books, not necessarily liquidity. Um, and we can talk about liquidity and for hours and hours and hours and all the opportunities there. But specifically, capital-related uh, sales backs are, are, um, are going to be at the forefront of credit union minds uh, moving forward. Bill, spot on, right? Like, does it help your liquidity metrics? Yes, absolutely. It will help your liquidity metrics. Would you do a transaction for just that? Probably not. You would probably do it for for capital. Now, if you had a you don't have this as a credit union, but inversely, if you were a bank and you had a 20-year bond portfolio duration and you had losses like crazy within your portfolio, different story. Then you would absolutely do this for that reason. For, for a credit union, it really wouldn't be as paramount uh, just because of your bonds aren't, your bonds aren't going to be long dated. You probably don't have all kinds of losses 
uh, with nothing for it. So talk to me about the accounting around a sale leaseback. How does that work? How has that changed over time? Go through that. Yeah, for sure. So that's a great question. There was a pretty major accounting standard change that took place oh, three to four years ago in that range. And, and that was part of our genesis for saying, you know, this is a transaction that, that credit unions really need to consider. And that's where our, our momentum, shoot, the last six months has been wild. How, how many credit unions we've engaged with end banks that uh, have a, a deep desire to do this transaction that we've done it with. So the accounting standard changed from a, it's ASC 840, which was roughly, again, four years ago. It switched to ASC 842. So for any nerds out there that want to go look at the stats, there you go. Those are the standards you need to look at. Doug, I'm not referencing you, by the way. With those standard changes, the old standard would make you actually take the gain on sale and spread it throughout the life of your new lease. So let me give you a for instance. You sell your branches for $40 million. You have a book value of $10 million, net gain of $30 million. The old standard would say, Take that $30 million and you're going to spread that gain across the life of the entire new 15-year lease, let's call it. That changed. When that standard was in place, a lot of credit unions and others thought that that was a true off-balance sheet transaction. And to some degree, it was. But there's a little bit of a misnomer because when the new standard came out, ASC 842, now the new standard allows for that gain in that instance, that $30 million gain from the example before, you could take that gain immediate. So it is an immediate impact on your balance sheet. It's not off balance sheet transaction, but it does immediately affect your numerator when you're looking at your calculations for uh, for capital. So it is tremendously more efficient than what it was four or five years ago. No one's talked about it, frankly, until about 12 months ago when the world started to change a bit. But it's really a quite efficient way now in this environment from an accounting standpoint to kind of get that capital and do something. with it. There are a few landmines around that, which I don't need to get into. I can get into that if that's helpful, Doug. Let's talk a bit about the big one. This is a delicate thing, right? Like if you go back to the foundation of the way people think about a credit union, they think about the people inside the building that I went to outside the plant, right? That's the origin of most credit unions. And to not own that physical place is a pretty big deal, like a big thing to overcome uh, conceptually, I would think, for a lot of boards, for a lot of executives. Can you help provide any sort of philosophical help? Like how do credit unions work through that? And when does it really make sense to work through that? Yeah, totally. Some very good questions there. And you're spot on. You as a credit union don't want your members to, number one, probably know that you're selling a building that you occupy because they might think you might be fleeing the market. We all know in this environment, that would be a horrible move from a funding perspective. You don't want members to think that you're leaving a market. So naturally, when you deal direct with us as an investor, that doesn't come up. Now, if you were to broker this, it would come up. There's not a lot of gamesmanship in what people pay one way or the other, which I can talk about later. You're, you're spot on, right? As you think about trying to navigate, does this make sense for our credit union? I think your first calculation is, what does my capital look like now? And what is it going to look like in 12 to 18 months? And thinking through that very hard and thinking through some of the stressors that could be in our environment today, dependent upon your exposure and certain asset classes, and then doing that computation, I think is really, really important. 
That's number one. Number two, every credit union should remember, as an investor, Mountain Seed is not in a business to go get the real estate and then to kick out the credit union at any given moment. Our entire reason for doing this is to have a long, and I mean very long, tenant that is a financial institution as our lessee. Part of our thesis is we want to be in the business with credit unions for the long term. So our leases, we had one last week that was a 15-year lease with two 15-year extensions. 45 years. Economic life on a building is usually not more than you know, 50 years, right? So I think ultimately, that is not our goal at all. And in your lease, if, if you were to explore this with us, that would not be part of the lease. You'd feel very comfortable, at least everyone that I've engaged with on this has read the lease and read kind of our LOIs and said, okay, this makes fundamental sense. Now, that doesn't mean it makes sense for everybody. I'm the first to tell you, and our approach at Mountain Seed is always kind of advisory first, and then let's get a transaction done second. Um, I think we, we try to, more so than anything else, consult and coach and educate. And if that leads to you know, no transaction, that's totally okay. Uh, the reasons it, it wouldn't lead to a transaction for a credit union would be number one, if you're flush with capital and you don't have a real need for cash, you're not going out and buying other credit unions. If you don't have a big technology spend, if you don't have some platform you're switching, like if you don't have a real need for cash or a reason because the regulators are looking at you under the microscope in the future, then it might not make sense. But if any of those things line up to where you know capital is tight, you plan to maybe exit a building in 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, and you want to take advantage of a real estate market right now that could get you some capital today that would make your balance sheet a little bit healthier, it's a good time to do it. It would make sense to do it. Bill, did I miss anything from your perspective? No, you hit everything. But I do want to say to Doug, right? I mean, can't open up any of the industry newspapers or, or media outlets without people talking about digital strategies, right? And so this this to me makes all the sense in the world. If you're a credit union and you're thinking about 15 years down the line and you have this long roadmap of your digital strategy and you need the investment now, and you're not sure if you need the, the building in 15 years, but you want to have it, right? You want to be able to vacillate between both a, a digital strategy and exiting the real estate strategy. This is perfect, as Patrick just said, right? You can take advantage of a nice market for your building while then taking that capital that you get and then redeploying it in your digital strategy. Uh, for me, that's one of those strategies. This makes a tremendous amount of sense for something like that to, to utilize a transaction like this. Yeah, that makes sense, sort of modernizing your use of capital to go from a brick and mortar to some kind of intellectual capital. Well, what are the landmines to watch out for that you mentioned, Patrick? You know, kind of give us maybe just the top examples that have gone through that have run into these things. Yeah, just great question. It goes back to the accounting standards. That those are where the landmines uh, typically come up, right? From a strategy perspective, you as a credit union, you'll meet, you'll talk to your board, you'll you'll get there from an executive standpoint. And one way or the other, if it's the right or wrong strategy. There's a number of questions that naturally come up when you're meeting as an executive team. Are we, we, my team would help kind of give you FAQs and coach you through that process. But there are some landmines to your point, Doug. And those landmines are all about ensuring that you can recognize that gain, that $30 million gain from the example before, up front. There's three things that I think are relevant. There's truly five landmines. Two of them are irrelevant. Three of them are relevant. So number one, the transaction must be an arm's length transaction. Okay, Mountain Seed, if you sell to us, it's an arm's length transaction. 
If you sell it to you know one of your board members, arguably that's not an arm's length transaction. Number two, there can be zero reversion. Think of a lease purchase. So if you want to lease a home and you want to go buy it in five years in real estate, you can do a lease purchase. You cannot do a lease purchase with these transactions. You as the credit union cannot get this piece of real estate back in seven years if we document that in a formal manner when we enter into the transaction. Now, if you call us in six years and say, hey, Mountain City, we want to buy this back from you, and it wasn't documented in an agreement, that's okay. You cannot go into the transaction knowing you're going to have a reversion event. Regulators do that specifically because they know that there's a lot of advantage in doing this transaction. And they don't, yeah, they don't want you to kind of play games. And then the last one is probably the most complex. So I'll try not to spend too much time on this. I can spend a little time on this, but I won't spend too much. Anybody that's a CFO on this podcast will understand this. So the net present value of the lease payments cannot exceed 90% of the fair market value that we're paying. Okay. And I remember how I said there's very little gamesmanship. Part of the little gamesmanship is this exact covenant or this exact um, standard. It's very difficult to run out that standard and to charge a credit union an exorbitant rental amount that's not market. Okay. It's pretty much impossible to do that. Now, of course, with a net present value calculation, some of that depends on your borrowing rate. Okay. Or that's the discount rate naturally. So, depending upon what that borrowing rate is, that's what you discounted that. You need to engage with your CPA to have that dialogue. I can give you all the guidance in the world because we do these transactions weekly. However, I would 100%, no matter what, tell you, you need to speak to your CPA. You might even talk to us five times in our conversations when we're doing this transaction. And I'm going to tell you every time, talk to your CPA. It's that important to make sure that you get that NPV calculation right. It sounds a little scary. I'm telling you, it's not scary. Are there people that have made mistakes? There are. But the reason they made a mistake is because they were not thinking through with their CPA what the net present value actually was in the transaction. Mountain Seed will provide on the front end, once we go through our analysis and put together our LOI, we would tell you what we think that NPV calculus will be. And we use a kind of a borrowing rate that we see pretty standard in the market. However, in every one of ours, we don't ever present anything that comes within two to three points of 90%. We're always below that kind of threshold. But once you talk to your CPA and put those inputs in from them on the borrowing rate, then of course, we would talk with you further if we need to adjust anything from the LOI. So that's kind of the number one landmine, I'd say, Doug. The interesting idea that Bill had given me in regard to sub-debt is that you could get pre-approved for sub-debt and then sort of just-in-time issue, quickly bring it to market. Talk to me about, A, is there a strategy around that for sale, lease back, some sort of a get the vetting out of the way, know what the numbers are, and then be ready to do it if it appears to be part of your strategy. Include in that, if you would, the cycle time of these transactions. From a lawyer's perspective, it's one of the reasons why we kind of like this. If you're comparing it to sub debt, one of the nice things is you do not need to get it approved by the NCUA. Additionally, I do want to just point this out. This is not new. This has been around for a very, very long time. The other day, I was just reading a letter from 1981 from the NCOA about these transactions, right? It's our prior podcast, Greg Hill, who uh, was on the on the call with me uh, on the subject call, he did one of these sale leaseback transactions in the late 1990s at the credit union he was the CEO at. So credit unions have been doing this for a long time. 
It's way different than Subdat, right? Subdat is brand new in 2022. It's a little history just comparing those two right now. Aloya likes these variety of reasons that a lot of them just talked about. But the main thing for me is how quickly it can be done. And I'll let Patrick talk about it. But, you know, NCUA, from what we've seen with Subdat, you're talking at best from the day you think about going into issue Subdat to the day you close somewhere between five and six months can be upwards of nine months, right? So it's it's a process. And that can be difficult. It's a lot of lead time. Sale leaseback's much, much quicker transaction. You're talking 30 days, maybe at best, probably more like 45, 60 days, but far quicker transaction for credit union. So just wanted to point all those things out and I'll let Patrick get into the, the nitty-gritty of the questions you just asked. Maybe to start from a, a cycle time bill spot on, right? Like we, we can move super fast. I mean, right now, for instance, we had a group last week that engaged us on Thursday for the first time. And they said, we need to wrap this by quarter end. Our valuation, we have an entire team of appraisers on our staff. Remember, one of the business units we have is an appraisal business unit. We have like 70 uh, MAI and certified general appraisers all throughout the U.S. So we, we leverage that valuation team. We're going to turn a valuation on those branches. My hope is by end of business tomorrow, uh, we'll have an LOI out by Wednesday. We were meeting with their executive team, I know, on Thursday. With all that said, I mean, we, we think we can get a purchase and sale agreement and get this thing wrapped by quarter end. So it can move super fast. Now, does every transaction move that fast? Most are probably in that 45 to 60-day window, and most don't need it to move that fast. From the standpoint of, does it make strategic sense to do an assessment on if this is a, a viable strategy now, even if you don't want to do this transaction in the next six months, three months? Yes. It absolutely does. And I'll tell you why. Number one, you probably don't know what your branches are worth. We're going to be able to help give you some guidance there. Okay, You have a book value, but we can actually tell you what the real estate's worth, what you actually have. Number two, I would say that nine months ago, the banking landscape and the credit union landscape was in this situation where uh, we thought, oh no, what's going on? The velocities continue to move harder and harder with Fed funds pushing higher and higher and higher. But we're probably going to stop soon. Well, guess what? We didn't stop. Are we going to stop now? Probably so. But what if we don't? It would be good to know if you're stressed on the funding side or if you're stressed on the capital side, hey, I have this solution that's ready. And then I'd say, lastly, this is not an all or none. I should have mentioned this earlier. You don't have to sell all 10 of your branches. I mean, I have someone right now that has 12 branches. We're going to buy one. So you can, you can do this in a strategic manner over time start slow and then kind of do it methodically as you go, or you can do it in a big full swoop or half of your branches at once. No doubt, you know, I think information is power. And if you guys actually will learn what this uh, can do to your balance sheet here and now, you know, come January or come February, it could be pretty meaningful if you guys need a solution and come up. I would like to just add on that because I've been doing some stuff for presentations around liquidity management and the NCUA coming out talking about contingency funding plans and how important those are. I think it's a great strategy to, especially if you are, you know, generally running below 9% capital, 8%, 7%, you're kind of in that mid-tier range and you might need capital quickly for whatever reason. To both get all of your ducks in a row for sub debt because you might need to pull that trigger as well as sales back. And the reason why I say both is because, you know, 
working with Patrick and, and Mountain Seed and understanding the value of real estate freight and being able to see how much capital you can extract from that is great. But then on the sub debt side, one of the real nice things about that is you're able to actually go forward and apply for how much capital you might need. I'm putting my credit union head on saying, hey, an examiner's coming in. I want to make sure all my lines of credit are tested. I've been able to get a real value on my assets. These are all of the different tools of the trade. I want to have that in my ready so I can go to my examiner and say, hey, I've got liquidity ready. I've done my homework on the capital if we need to do it. And we're ready to go. So in the, in the event the examiner comes in and says, actually, you do need a little bit more capital. Okay, here are your options. Which option is going to be the best for you right now? Very good, Bill. Well, that got me wondering about, has anyone taken this to one extreme where you build for immediate lease? You build it and then sell it before you even occupy it. Have you seen any activity like that? I haven't. I've not seen that either. And I don't think you would, I guess, Maybe that makes sense, but you're probably not going to get as much from a capital perspective. Right? If you're building right now, your land is worth X. I guess you could turn around and right, you could see a little bit of a appreciation in capital. But the most bang for the buck is going to be on those credit unions who have had buildings for decades and decades. Yeah, remember the book value, the impetus for this in a lot of cases is for depreciation of branches. So as you think about a building that's 20 years old, it's almost fully depreciated you're going to get a huge gain versus, you know, I I was on with a credit union last week that they just acquired another credit union a year and a half ago and they made that acquisition. They reset their book value. So are they going to get some gain? They are, but they're not going to get nearly the same gain as that credit union that's had legacy branches. That's a good point. Patrick, you and I were talking about this. It's the same concept that the credit union is buying a bank or a branch at a bank, right? When I initially thought about this, I was like, geez, you could fund your own merger, you could fund your own purchase, your capital, if you purchase the bank. But it doesn't really work like that because the goodwill is already involved with the sale of the branch. You might get a little, but probably not as much as you initially thought. I thought that was the case. Credit union could go around buying branches the entire time. You wouldn't get that goodwill. As it relates to an M&A strategy, I think that the way you have to look at it is if you own legacy branches already, you can do the transaction on the legacy branches today, generate the capital for the transaction on the acquisition side, or even in post-acquisition, if you own legacy branches, you could do it at that point to kind of refill the kit, so to say, and make sure you're in a good, healthy spot. As always on this podcast, we like to try to think about bold ideas to push the credit union movement forward, to be the tip of the idea generator for credit unions. Patrick and Bill, both in what you've seen, and what you've intellectualized about with regard to sale leasebacks. What are the boldest ideas for credit union leaders in this particular space? Yeah, I think the boldest idea from my perspective is look at your balance sheet, fill throughout a number with the capital. I mean, if you're sub 13%, 12%, engage, at least find out what this can mean for you long term. We're not going to spend more than 30 minutes to an hour of your time doing this. So would you sell every one of your branches? That would be a bold move. Do I have people that we've done this with that have sold all their branches? Yeah. I would say, you know, think of this as really a, a strategy that or hasn't been as in vogue. But now that you are faced with some pressure on your balance sheet, at least take the call. I mean, we're not a broker, right? So there's no, it's not like we're... We're trying to incentivize you to do a transaction. I'm just simply stating as an advisor, you'd be doing yourself a favor if you took 
took the time to actually learn a little bit more about what mechanically this can do for your balance sheet. So that would be the bold suggestion. I mean, it's, it's not a rocket science transaction. So I, I don't want to overcomplicate any of this. It's pretty simple. But ultimately, you know, take the bold strategy to understand, hey, what can this transaction do for my balance sheet, regardless of where you are in a capital position? I think of this as being the funding mechanism for the future credit unions, which I consider to be digital. If you have real estate assets, and you're not sure where, where real estate plays 20 years down the line from you, 30 years down the line, probably all of us on this call won't be in the industry then. Maybe Doug, as Doug looks around, right? If you are going you know, all in or, or pretty heavily in on this digital strategy, there's a, there's a major capital requirement to do so. Take the assets that you have now, right? And then look at this transaction. And you can still continue to, to keep, you know, that real estate presence, but you can fund that digital strategy. And I think to me, that would be the boldest action anybody could take. Right on that in M&A is the other obvious outcome, right? That's a really good point, Doug. If you're going to go out and make acquisition, this should no doubt be your way to do it. That would be the bold thing I would state. You are actively going out and acquiring others. You can generate the capital. You don't have to get any raise any money. You don't have to go through any long, laborious process. Just get it today. You have it on your balance sheet. That's what's funny. People don't realize they have it. They own it with their real estate. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for your work for the credit union movement through it, through the members. I, I appreciate the work that you do and in, in helping uh, support this movement to grow and to be bold and to be strong for generations to come. So uh, thanks for your time today. I will uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoyed it, Bill. Thanks again, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's all the insider credit union knowledge we have for this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with other credit union leaders by leaving us a review. See you next time on See You on the Show. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly.